I'm Siobhan Barnes, ex-commercial and corporate real estate professional turned leadership and life coach, supporting high-achieving professionals to step into purpose-led careers without having to sacrifice their soul, sanity, or steady paycheck. I've coached hundreds of professionals to figure out their unique path to create meaningful success that feels as good on the inside as it looks on the outside using my signature aligned achievement method. In this podcast, I'll share how you can get clarity on your unique path, how to make an impact and step into more purpose in a way that's right and true for you. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to the Aligned Achiever podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Barnes, and I am so thrilled that you are here. So today on this week's episode of the podcast, we're building off of last week where I spoke about the five signs that it might be time for a career 180. And I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into some of the lessons that I've personally learned navigating my own career 180. Because sometimes I think it's helpful to hear how other people have navigated it. And I'm putting my hand up right now to say that I have made a lot of mistakes. And so my intention for today's episode is to share some of the lessons I've learned and to tie in some of the themes and the lessons I've also seen my clients learn as they've negotiated and navigated their own career 180. Now, a career 180, I believe, is something that happens to more and more of us as we navigate our careers. We live in a very different world to our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, where the norm was to stay at one firm for most of your life and to climb your way up the ladder and get to where you could and, you know, that was it. Now, I'm not saying that that is wrong or bad. I'm simply saying that more and more we are being called to have the skills to discern when is it time for a pivot? When is it time for a change? And how do we know if we're jumping the gun too soon or whether we are you know, being a little bit Pollyanna and thinking that the grass is greener on the other side? And so in today's episode, I wanna share with you some of my own lessons learned because there's definitely things that I've learned on my journey and also invite you to come deeper with me on this topic if you would like to. So tomorrow I am running a free masterclass called The Career 180, and I will be sharing my career clarity framework to break free from indecision and get clear on what career reinvention and growth looks like for you in 2023. So come on over to the show notes to get access to the link so that you can register your free seat, and you'll be able to get that over at SiobhanBarnes.com forward slash 64. That's the number 64. And we're going to go so much deeper into this. So do come and join me because we'll be diving into why I think right now is the best time to get clear on your career direction. I want to talk about the one mistake that I see every smart, high achieving professional woman making when she's thinking about her career and how to fix it. I want to talk about why strategy isn't your friend when it comes to figuring out your career 180 and what is instead. And obviously I'm a big fan of strategy, but sometimes there's other pieces that are at play that we need to look at. I'm also going to talk about how to get clear on whether your desire for a career 180 is just wishful thinking or genuinely the right move for you, and also talk through how you can make a decision without looking foolish, silly, 
or wasting your time. So please come and join me. It's a completely free masterclass. Um, would love to have you come and join me and you can click on the link in the show notes to come and sign up. But also if you follow me on Instagram and on LinkedIn, it will be in my profile or in my bio so you can register your seat that way. All right. So today I want to talk about some of the lessons I've learned navigating my own career 180. And the best way I can do that is actually to walk you back through my own career and how I have pivoted and shifted and done these career 180s, not as a means to bore you. I'm going to give you the highlights only, but in essence, share with you when I decided to pivot, why I decided to pivot, was it really the right move and talk through the lessons learned and also what I wish I did a little bit differently. And this is actually coming off the back as at the time of recording, I'm actually recording this in the lead up to a big birthday of mine. And I've really been pondering what is it that really matters which direction do I myself want to take my career going forward? And I'll tell you what, I'm continually shifting and changing and pivoting. And it's not always at this point, not necessarily a 180 degree pivot. It's more kind of like 15 or 30 degrees or even smaller. I think the skill of knowing how to discern and make decisions around that is the skill that we want to learn. So I'm going to share with you my own experience. So bringing you way, way back If you and I haven't met yet and you don't know my story, this is a great way to understand where I come from and how I landed here supporting high-achieving professionals to step into soul-led careers without sacrificing their sanity's soul or steady paycheck. So way back when, I started my career in commercial real estate and I really hit my career hard at the start. At the age of 22, I'd finished my university degree. I had taken a gap year in Beijing. I thought I wanted to be in Asia, wanted to learn Mandarin. So I'd taken a year out and I'd done some part-time work at a real estate firm up there. And I started my career at JLL as an analyst. And in four years, I went from analyst to associate director. And I was completely focused and devoted on my career. I'd enrolled in a part-time master's program at Hong Kong University in real estate, majoring in general practice surveying, and was doing that part-time. I was also playing netball at club level, division one, and you know, doing all the things that a young 20-year-old something was doing, like hanging out with friends and all that kind of stuff. And during that career, I am so grateful for my time at JLL. I got to work on really exciting deals. So I worked in tenant representation. I basically was brokering real estate deals, so office transactions, and was very much more the support person. I was new, I was the newbie, so I would run the numbers and do the analysis, and was very fortunate to work on two multi-million dollar real estate deals, relocating two investment banks from Central over to ICC. It's kind of like the equivalent of from London, moving from the city to Canary Wharf, and worked with a number of Fortune 500 companies, KPMG, Baker & McKenzie, Goldman Sachs. Oracle, so many different companies. And it was such a great training ground to present to senior leadership, to put together pitch proposals, strategy decks, all of that good stuff. And I feel like it gave me such a great insight into businesses because, you know, the two most expensive costs for a business are going to be their real estate and their people. And I loved it. And so I was very, very passionate about real estate. I grew up in Hong Kong and I thought this was the career for me. 
Also was a very lucrative career, obviously. I didn't understand that part of it so much, but it really set me up for quite a lot of success at a very, very young age. And what happened was after four years, I started to get restless. I was very fortunate to have worked on these really big deals. And I was like, okay, I want the next thing. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to do the next thing. And a sidebar, I had also started dating my boyfriend who was also at JLL. And I didn't really want to work in the same team as him. I kind of wanted to have my own space and was very fortunate to be approached by one of our clients to go and work in their team under corporate real estate. So I transitioned into corporate real estate. Now that pivot was not a 180. I think this model applies to many different things. Like if you look at PR and marketing, et cetera, I was more kind of agency side and what I was doing going to the investment bank was going in-house. And I thought it would be really sexy because it was a Asia Pacific role and I was going to be able to travel, which at that season of my life is what I wanted. I was 26 at the time. And that particular transition, I took a little bit of a back step in terms of title. So I was associate director in JLL where I started. And then I actually went to associate rather than VP when I joined the investment bank. And I wasn't too bothered about that. I was more interested in, okay, what do I need to do to get to VP? I wanted that to be my next level. And I was ambitious enough and I knew that if I worked hard that I would get there. I thought I'd have the time as well. So fast forward, after 18 months at that investment bank and six big Asia Pacific projects later, I realized that I couldn't hack it. I was burnt out. I was overworked. And that very much came from this internal dialogue that I had that was like, make the most of this opportunity, classic imposter syndrome, right? Like they haven't found you out yet. You've got to work harder than everybody else. Otherwise you're going to be figured out that you're a fraud and you're not good enough. And so this overworking, people-pleasing, lack of boundaries that I had led me to burnout, which is why when I talk about the work that I do, burnout, work-life integration, these pieces I think are really important because sometimes a career 180 is not actually about changing careers. It's actually about this stuff. So that's lesson number one for me. I wish that if I had my time again, my lesson learned is that changing your environment, changing the organization you work for, that doesn't necessarily change things up for you. Where you're better served to start, where you're better served to look, is to look at the inherent patterns of behavior that are draining you and not serving you. So I wish I'd looked at my patterns of people-pleasing, feeling not good enough, and boundaries. I wish I looked at that first because then I would have had more energy and also been in a better headspace to make more of an informed decision on where I wanted to go next. It would have helped me realize that I am enough. I am a good person. I had skills, obviously not the best, lots and lots of room to learn and grow, but that I did a good job. And it would have allowed me to also realize my place in quite a male-dominated environment. And so the lesson I learned, and I'll share more about how that lesson really came about later on, because as Steve Jobs says, you can only ever connect the dots when you look backwards, never looking forwards. But if I had looked at those patterns of behavior, I would have been much better served to make better decisions. You do not want to be navigating a career 180 when you're burnt out stressed out, looking for an exit cord, you know, exit strategy so that you can just get out of there and hit pause and take a break. 
So when I left that organization, I was going to get married. I actually felt pregnant, but before I had gone off and done all that, the organization had very kindly offered me a sabbatical and an opportunity to take time off and then come back, which is amazing. Very, very grateful for them. Yes, I did want to take the time off, but I knew that I wasn't going to come back into that role. So I was very upfront, said, thank you very much. Really grateful for that sabbatical time. I know I'm not coming back. I want you to plan. I know you've got a lot of projects on so that you can manage everything. I just want you to know I'm not coming back. And I had looked at different opportunities within the organization and ironically felt interested in HR, this investment bank that I worked at. They had like a university, GSU. And so I look back now and I'm like, actually, that would have been the perfect pivot into doing something similar to what I'm doing now, which is helping people. But I was too burnt out to even have the headspace to think about doing that next. And so the lesson is don't focus on changing the environment. Take a moment to ask yourself what patterns of behavior are really at play here and look at those first. I'm going to dive into this in greater depth in the masterclass. So make sure you come and sign up. So you might be asking, okay, Shiv, what did you do after you left your corporate career? Well, I pendulum swung. I pendulum swung to, all right, I've done the successful career. I've earned the good money. I still want a great career. By that point, I was in my late 20s. I thought, okay, let me pendulum swing to more meaning. And that's what I did. I'm embarrassed to say it, but at the time, the internet was not what it is today, right? I Googled how to figure out what you're doing with your life. What should I do with my career? And, you know, a lot of the blogs at the time were talking about follow your passion. What did you want to do as a kid? And I thought back to how, as a child, I used to love the body shop and in particular, Anita Roddick. And I loved her business model in that everybody got a piece of the pie. The raw materials that were being made in these third world countries meant that these ladies there were able to get access to food and money and resources. And I thought that was great. And at the time, as a 10-year-old, I loved the product. And actually, pivotal moment when I was in primary school, I'd written to Anita Roddick to come and speak at our school for Environmental Week. And although she didn't come, I did get a reply saying that she was flattered and honored and that she was very supportive of the work we were doing at the school. So something in that was a clue, right? It was a clue that meaning is about sustainable business, it's about equity. It's about inclusion. There were like these threads that were really important. And there was these threads of sustainability. So what I did when I thought I wanted to do this skincare business is that I enrolled in a diploma in cosmetic science. So fun fact, I have a diploma in cosmetic science, super random. And the reason why I do is I thought, right, I don't have this expertise. I'm doing a career 180. What do I need? I need more education. And many people do this, right? Some people do this with an MBA or they do it with another course. And sometimes more education isn't the answer. Sometimes education is not the first port of call. There are smarter things that you can do to really test out your ideas to make sure that they're the right ones for you. So I wasted a lot of time doing that cosmetic science diploma. I'd gone to trade fairs, looked up these white level companies, looked at minimum SKUs, all these different things you need to get your product out there. And I didn't really do the deeper work of like, well, how do you actually create a sustainable business doing this? And is it really going to fulfill that need for meaning and purpose and giving back to these people in other countries who don't have as much as we do in the Western world? So education is not the first port of call. You don't have to have a master's, a diploma, a blah, 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 in order to move forward. When you're sure of that path, Absolutely. I'm a big proponent of getting the study, getting the credentials that you need to be an integrity, be masterful at your craft and do a good job. However, it's not always the first port of call. And I'll talk more about that in a moment and how I learned that lesson later. 
So after that, I realized, okay, this skincare business thing, it's not happening. I'd had my first child by then. And I thought, you know what? Why don't I go back to my skill set? Why don't I go back to real estate? And maybe I'm a freelancer. Maybe that will give me the flexibility that I want now that I'm a mom. I want to be there for my kids. And I'll be honest, it was great money. I got to work on cool projects, you know, different countries in these Fortune 500 companies, these projects that were Asia Pacific based. And I got to write these reports and pull together the data and create these pitch decks and strategy reports. And the project-based nature of it was great. I enjoyed it. I love that feeling of conclusion, but it was still a bit devoid of meaning. And, you know, working as a nursing mom, trying to be on a conference call, that was obviously very stressful. So I thought, hang on a minute, let me go back to sustainability. Let me go back to more meaning. Maybe I need to go back and do this meaning thing again. So I thought that I could partner with someone. So through my research about sustainability, I reached out to a social enterprise and I thought I'd partner with them because they knew what they were doing. And I thought they were based in Singapore. I could represent them in Hong Kong. Maybe we could do something together. I messed about, I messed so much time up sharing lots of ideas and thinking about who we could target, how we could market. And I gave away all this time and energy for free. And when it came time to look at the commercials and look at the numbers, it just didn't work and it didn't make sense. And I wasted so much time. I avoided the conversation about money and was just so desperate for meaning. And I wish I'd looked at it sooner. So lesson number three for me is that you don't have to pendulum swing to work for a charity or a social enterprise or an NGO. It is fantastic if you do. And for some people, it's the right call. However, I think sometimes we can just pendulum swing and you know go completely in the opposite direction. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's right for you, even though it's more meaningful. If you want more meaning, there are plenty of ways that you can do that in the position that you have at the organization you're at or through volunteering as well. Sidebar, I was at a women's foundation event the other day and I was very inspired by someone I was speaking to because we were reflecting on our journey and she was sharing how, because she had volunteered for this program at the TWF, she now was volunteering in something else. And it was just bringing this richer, more meaningful experience to her life, even though her corporate background is doing something completely different. And so the outside work that she's doing and the conversation she's having with friends and like slowly introducing people to things, that is what's giving her meaning. So can you see what I mean here? You don't necessarily have to do social enterprise work or NGO work to be your main bread and butter, your main job, but it could be something that you do on the side. So a few things that I think are important to look at, and this is where the Ikigai framework can be quite helpful. The Ikigai framework translates loosely from Japanese to the reason for being. So the four things you can ask yourself are, what am I good at? What do I enjoy? What does the world need? And how can I get paid for that? If you can answer those four questions, you'll begin to narrow in on that sweet spot of what it is exactly that you can offer. And this applies if you're starting a business. It also applies in corporate. I think back to my corporate career, my expertise, project management, pulling people together, strategy, numbers, and communicating a story. That was a skill set. So meaning and fulfillment, it comes from understanding yourself and what you enjoy and then applying it to, okay, what real life application in the world can I solve? Whether that be direct to a consumer or direct to a business or for your employer, because you're helping them solve a problem for their client. The truth is we learn and grow through the tough stuff. So my philosophy on purpose and meaning whilst we're on this thread is that we're here to live this paradox of believing that we're whole enough and perfect just the way that we are. And that we're also here to learn and grow and evolve, which brings me to coaching. This is what I've been doing now for 10 years. And I will tell you, it hasn't all been roses. 
When I transitioned into coaching, I'd made a lot of mistakes. This is 10 years ago now at the time of recording. I'd actually worked with a bunch of coaches and it was during that time when I was looking at this career 180, tried to do it myself, totally fumbled, messed it up along the way, that I worked with a coach and I thought, you know what? What you're doing with me, that is what I would love to do. Her name's Lauren D. Russo. She's based in the US. I think she's still coaching, but she was the game changer for me and she inspired me to go into coaching. And so what I did, going back to that lesson about education, is that I didn't just go and enroll in a coaching certification. What I did first is I tested out my idea. I was pregnant with my second child at the time, my daughter, and I found three guinea pigs. I didn't know them. I popped it in a forum. I was part of like some business development course, and I popped it in the Facebook group. I was like, look, I'm looking for three people. would like to coach them for free. Four sessions over one month, I remember saying. And full transparency, I am not a coach. I'm testing out if I have any natural ability, desire, passion for this. So this is how it's going to roll. And I think I met with them for one hour on a topic of their choosing and coached them without any formal training. But I was very transparent, obviously did not take any money for that because I wasn't trained. And what I realized in that testing phase, the kind of awkward, uncomfortable, time-consuming piece was that I freaking loved hearing people, being a mirror for them, holding space for them, and asking questions that get them to see something different. There was one woman in Brazil, one woman in Australia, and one woman in the States. And so I remember particularly with those two in the States and Brazil, that these calls Again, lack of boundaries for me, right? Like I was doing them really late at night for myself and it was like early morning for these ladies. And I was pregnant. I was like six months pregnant and I had so much energy. I could not go to sleep. I was just buzzing. I was like, yes, I found the thing. I found the thing. I love it. And so I decided then, okay, this is where I want to go. I'm going to enroll in coaching. What program am I going to do? And since then I have enrolled in so many different programs and modalities and it's been an eclectic mix. Even that in and of itself, deciding what kind of coach to be, what kind of trainings to get to fill the gaps to serve a very specific audience, which is professional women in the workplace who want to do meaningful work and earn a great living doing it. That has always been my niche from the beginning because I have such a heart for it because I was one of those people. And I also want to create a world where more women are in leadership. I've got children, there's three now, and you know I want them to live in a very different world to the one I grew up in. So this mission feels like it's chosen me and the modalities I've chosen to learn have really supported me to be able to do this. And so I share that with you because even though I've pivoted into coaching, which is the path that I love, like I get to hold space for people, I realized that at the end of the day, we all want to do meaningful work we love to feel like we're making an impact, we're making a contribution. And I want to bust this bubble that even if you are on the right path, it doesn't mean it's all roses and butterflies. It doesn't mean that it's easy. What it actually means is that it's a good hard. You're growing, you're stretching, you're becoming the person who can fulfill the mission that you feel called to fulfill on this planet. And so it's a good kind of hard. It's a little bit not really like giving birth, right? Like when you give birth, it's tough, but it's oh so worth it. And you know you're going to get through it. So I've been very fortunate in my career. When I got out of coaching, I was able to be on panels with the American Chamber of Commerce, Women of Influence, the Futurist Female Conference, a lot of different workshops I've delivered. I've delivered workshops to women's groups within Fortune 500 companies, and they've been opportunities for me to stretch and grow. And obviously I've failed and I've not done a good job sometimes, but it's made me better. It's made me realize where I need to improve, where to learn, and made me much more resilient. And so those are really the three lessons. Number one, 
Look at the patterns of behavior. Don't necessarily look at changing your environment. Because if I look back now, maybe if I wasn't so burnt out, maybe I actually could have stayed at the investment bank and pivoted into helping people within the HR, HCM, GSU space, you know? But I just was so burnt out. So don't get to a place where you're so fatigued that you can't make good decisions. Lesson number two, don't believe that you have to have more education in order to pivot actually test things out. Like I did with coaching. I didn't jump straight into it. I tested it first and then I invested in the education. And lesson number three, you don't have to pendulum swing to social enterprise or NGO in order to do something meaningful. Look at the ways that you can add value and add meaning right now. So what I wish I did differently is that I wish I realized all those years ago that I'm enough who I was enough, and that actually my quiet, introverted, sensitive, and empathetic nature is a good thing. And there is a place for that, maybe not in corporate and commercial real estate, but in other places. And that's what I encourage my clients with now is to see their uniqueness, to own their flavor of enoughness, and to trust in themselves. With education, I wish I realized that learning can sometimes be a stalling technique to avoid doing the difficult thing. And that really where you can get clarity is by having a conversation with someone about an idea, doing market research, testing out an idea, doing the tough and awkward stuff that will be uncomfortable, but will save you time and save you money down the line because education is not always the answer. Sidebar on this, one of my strengths is learner and I do love to learn. And so this personal mastery piece about looking at my blind spots and who I am has been around discerning, okay, how do I navigate my genuine love of learning versus using it as a stalling technique? And what else I wish I did differently is that I wish that I hadn't made myself wrong for wanting to be commercially viable in my ideas. I wish I hadn't shied away from money and that I'd looked at my relationship to time, energy, and money so that I could get my head straight about all of this stuff. Because at the end of the day, time, energy, money, these are all resources that we have to learn to work with. And particularly around time and energy and money, there's something that can trace back to worthiness and enoughness. So often we make choices based on money and time and energy. And by unpacking our relationship to us, we can unravel that scarcity versus opportunity and make really smart decisions for us. When I was in corporate, I earned great money and I made myself wrong for it. And I thought that, okay, if I go to social enterprise, then I can give back and I can do more. And I didn't think that I could do both. So thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we've spoken about three of the lessons that I've learned navigating my own career 180 and what I wish I did differently. If you'd like to go deeper on this, please come and join me in the upcoming masterclass that I'm running tomorrow. It's called the Career 180. I would love to have you there. Thank you so much for tuning in. And please remember, you are here for a reason beyond merely hustling, grinding, and merely surviving. You matter. You matter.